want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Well, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I'm Josh. And I'm Nat. Uh, this week we decided to do something a little different. Um, we, we, we've been restricted by the COVID-19 situation. It's um, sometimes a little bit difficult for us to get a guest together. Um, and instead of just sitting and listening to Nat and I talk shit for an hour and a half, <laughs> like, like a couple of weeks ago, we thought we would do a bit of a, um, like a, like a review on a TV show that we think has a lot of um, similar issues to some of the stuff that I guess we see in our day-to-day work, um, have a little bit of fun with it as well at the same time. And hopefully a TV show that you've either watched or at least heard of. Yeah. Mm. And then I think, you know, hopefully after the podcast, you will be... Uh, Even if not, excited to watch it. Yeah, excited to watch yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, um, And I think as well, if, if this goes well, you know, we could look at some other movies and TV shows and things and chat about them because I think as much as a, as much as a textbook or a work experience as good as they are, sometimes seeing movies, watching TV shows or reading novels or books can tell a whole other story um, that I think just can um, give you another point of view. Yeah. yeah. And I think the um, we're doing Shameless. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know whether yeah. I should say that. Sorry. Oh, so yeah. Shameless is the um, TV show we're going to be chatting about today but I think something about that TV show that is pretty consistent through all of the seasons mm. is that they depict um, issues I guess in a in a really raw way mm. you know so they cover things like addiction mental health low socioeconomic um, environments um, transgenerational child, trauma yeah child protection staff mm. um, and yeah it does it with a really raw, Lens that isn't necessarily something that I guess certain members of the community would would see, mm. even the functioning of a household like that with that yeah. many kids and, you know, absent parents and um, the day-to-day function mm. of how... Older siblings that look after their younger siblings taking on the parent role. Yeah, parentified siblings. It's, yeah, it's mm. actually a ginormous amount of content in there and it's, what, mm. 11 seasons now? Or No, 10? 10th, yeah. 10th's about to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so shall we give a bit of a description about Shameless? Yeah, well, first? I liked I liked the IMDb version Do because you want to it read was that? short and sweet and was kind of funny. We can um, read that and then I guess um, flash flesh it out a bit. Yeah, if absolutely. You would not, well, flesh it out is inappropriate. Um, so <laughs> the IMDb 
IMBD? IMDB. IMDB. Jesus. Um, Description of Shameless is a scrappy, feisty, fiercely loyal Chicago family that make no apologies. Hmm. Which doesn't really give you much insight into the TV show at all, to be fair. No. Um, As we go, I think we'll probably give it a fair old explanation. Yeah, but I guess a brief overview would be Mm. a TV show about a family that um, do come from a low socioeconomic um, area, so south side of Chicago. It's based, well, they're based in the TV show, Um, and it's a story that follows a pretty dysfunctional um, Mm. family. Um, and I guess they're the ins and outs of their day-to-day life and hustle and mm. survival. And I really like, um, I think, a beautiful aspect of the, the the way that they pull through a lot of hard times together mm. and as individuals as well. Yeah. Um, it's just really, yeah, it's a pretty um, unique explanation of things. Mm. But not far from what could be happening in your local area, yeah. in your local, um, you know, the communities and stuff that you work within. Mm. It's you know it's a Hollywood version of it, and um, it's blown about blown out of proportion in a lot of ways. And I think someone that works in the community services field, I could pick a lot of plot holes in different things and go, oh, that's not really how it would go down, or you know, oh, I you know that wouldn't actually happen. But at the end of the day, uh, the themes and things like that are very very real. Mm. Um, and I find it's not. Um, there is definitely, I agree with what you're saying, but there isn't an extreme level of glorification there. Like often in TV shows and movies, they try to glorify like, you know, that criminal lifestyle, being a drug dealer with heaps of money and Mm, whatever else. And there's definitely aspects of things like that, but they don't glorify. It's like not when they did Underbelly Australia. They didn't glorify um, too many details. Mm. Um, It still, yeah, sits within being semi-realistic, I guess. Yeah. My point. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Keeping in theme with our questions to start a podcast, we created three for each other. Yeah. Um, so the first one that uh, is your favourite character? Yeah. Yeah. Who's yours? Oh, that's a hard one. Favourite character, I'd have to go with Lip, I think. Mm. Um, so Lip, whose name is Philip, um, but known as Lip on the show, is the second oldest child mm. um, in the family, um, is a bit of a secret genius. Um, not so secret, I guess, later on um, with the things and creative hustles that he gets into um, to earn money. But, yeah, I like Lip. I think there's a real humility to him. He genuinely gives a fuck about his siblings. He's looking Mm. out for them. Um, You know, I can recall a certain amount of times that he took beatings for his brothers for certain things. Yeah, that's true. um, Tends to get himself in a spot of bother um, in trying to care for his siblings. But, um, I think he's got a really good heart. So, yeah, he's probably my favourite. Mm. And he's cheeky too. Yeah, I like that about cheap, yeah. him. Yeah, what about you? Who is your favourite character? Mine is, um, and he falls outside of the family, is Kev. <laughs> yeah. Who lives down the road. Yeah. Um, Next door. Yeah, and gets massively jacked as the season goes yeah. on too, by the way. Yeah. Like he's a big frame at the start, you know, big imposing kind of figure. And then um, by I think like season seven or eight, he's like got his top off all the time and he's just a monster he of a man. He's a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something he'd do too. He'd put like nipple tassels on and make yeah. his titties dance. Yeah, yeah. That's a head um, thing. But I just like he's kind of like that community guy in, in a good sense that's just always there for the neighbours in the community. Um, and I think that I like that he has like that big kind of tough bravado. But then as, as time goes on, he's actually very caring and loving and then... He looks after the Gallagher family a lot with his partner, V. Mm. Um, and then when they have kids and he just turns into a big mushy bear, yeah. like it's just really cool. Um, yeah, he's my favourite. Yeah. Yeah. 
I do love um, a little bit of a sidetracked, but when they do have kids um, and there's like a scene and he's like feeding them and playing with them and V's like the opposite. She's like yeah. going to work at the pub and she's just like, sort your shit out, Kev. Yeah, he's not, she's not interested. It's <laughs> no. so funny. Yeah. Very, very minimal interest. All right. Who out of the Shameless cast, Josh, do you most identify with? I think um, for me it's probably a little bit of a mix between Lip and Carl. Mm-hmm. I think for Lip, he's kind of got that um, parental kind of vibe that he's always trying to look after the siblings and trying to do the best that he can by his siblings and and even by um, his friends and his the people that he works with. Mm. Um, and I think as well, like in the middle of a crisis, he's kind of not too reactionary and um, he's really composed and mm. he'll think about things methodically. Like he'll go, "All right, this is what we know. We need a thousand dollars. Like, all right, this is what we're going to do: get a list and get a paper." And this is, you know, we'll write down step one, step two, um, which I, I think that I am kind of like that, like quite comfortable in a crisis sort of situation. Mm. And then I think a little bit of Carl, like when he was younger, kind of cheeky and then kind of sorted himself out a little bit and sort of with the military school sort of stuff, just was able to kind of knuckle down and figure things out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a little bit of a battler, which I think was really cool mm. about him. Yeah. How about you? Uh, this is a tricky one. I want to say Fiona, but mm. part of that for me is, one, because people tell me I look like her, but two, I just really like her as a character. She's yeah. my favourite. Um, so I was trying to steer clear of that, but then I ran through some of the characters, the, the female characters that I could think that I would identify with and the things that popped to mind are like V and that she's this crazed sex addict. Yeah. And then you've got um, the Russian wife whose name I can't remember. Svetlana. Svetlana. I'm definitely not Svetlana. No. Um, Monica. <laughs> Definitely not, you know, mm. deranged, absent mother that um, is diagnosed with video. That's probably not me. So I'd pro- I'd have to go Fiona, I think. it's probably comes back to that. I think she's just, for me, probably earlier on, there was definitely later in the seasons that she got a bit dicky with a lot of her mm. um, stuff and she's a big self-sabotager, which is probably something that I can um, sympathise with. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just I think she's really got a go, similar to Lip, she's got a can-go-to attitude, mm. you know, um, mum and dad aren't there and she just picks shit up and figures it out. Mm. Um, and it's never, I think, um, rarely it's brought up that, you know, I'm just supposed to be a sibling here, not a parentified sibling. Mm. Um, she sort of just takes it in her stride and I really like her story of, you know, being from the south side of Chicago but then actually building something of herself. And, you know, there was a while there where she was managing the diner and she had her own apartment block and you know, for a girl that didn't even finish high school and, mm. you know, gets her GED later in the TV series, but she, yeah, was a real go-getter and the roadblocks that she came across through her journey to do that stuff didn't scare her away. She kept going. So, mm. yeah, probably Fiona for me, yeah, I'm nice. going to say. Mm. Yeah, I can't think of anybody else that I would uh, be like. Yeah. Um, who would be your partner in crime if you were going to go out and do an Agberg or steal a car <laughs> or for some reason shit's gone south and you need a, you've got a job to do? Yeah. Who is sitting in the passenger seat with you? The ultimate partner in crime. I think it would be hard to look past Frank. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. Because... He's done it all. Yeah. And some of the rorts he comes up with are genius. Yeah. And this is something that we'll probably talk about later. But one of the things that I noticed or one of the, like, that I observed in Shameless is that all of the Gallaghers have work ethic. Yes. And I think probably none quite like 
Frank. Mm. And yeah, he's sort of been through it all. He's done it all. He's thought about all the different things. I think he's like, he's kind of like when you joke about people in prison, that they're just always thinking about the next thing that they can do or, you know, that they're killing time inside and they're always thinking about how they can escape. That's Frank. He's like that with everything. Yeah. And he's just, even in, for a show that's written, you're just like, oh my God, that's such a great idea. Yeah. Um, so I think for like, for that kind of creativity and the someone that's sort of been through everything, Frank, I think outside of that, probably Lip because he sort of has a um, pretty staunch kind of attitude and mm. like you said, he took a few beatings for some of his family members and he's got good work ethic and hustle as well. Mm. But I don't think he's got, I don't think he's got the same type of resilience that Frank does. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I think it'll be Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Frankie boy for the win. Yeah. How about you? Um, I would, it's really funny. When I we originally discussed this question, I was going to say Kev. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think Kev, yeah. if I think about being in a situation where, like, I'm going to steal a car, yeah. I can just imagine Kev being like, oh, but I feel bad. Why am I yeah. stealing their car? Yeah. So it wouldn't be Kev because no. he's not a ride or die. He's no, got too he's many not. questions. Yeah, he's big. He's big boy. Like, his body could be utilised as a strategy. <laughs> However, yeah. semi-useless to me. Mm. Um, but I, I'm going Carl. Yeah. I think he's very shifty. Yeah. He's nifty. Yeah. Um, and I think he had a lot of, we'll probably get into it later, but all of his um, alternative uh, ideas to earning money. He was a drug dealer at like 10 or something. Yeah. And um, even the one where they stole all the free high scooters and charged people <laughs> for them. And, yeah, he's just, there's been a lot of things that he manages to get himself out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he'd be a good, good uh, mastermind to have on your side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Yeah, okay. although if the cops got called and we were running, he'd outrun me, so yeah. maybe Kev should be back in the picture. But I don't reckon that a Gallagher would lag on, on nah. you. That's the thing. Nah. So. I think Lip would be the sort of brother that if we were running and I was going to get caught by the cops, Lip would come back and he'd, like, grab you and run with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that um, Carl would be like, nah, fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Ian. Yeah, he's the forgotten child. But then, you know, successful in prison. Yeah. He was the gay Jesus. Yes. Uh, an EMT, which seemed a little too easy to get into, just from my own observations as someone that has, has like looked into them. Well, no, not not as an EM, like not as someone that works for the ambulance, but for in Australia, you have to do a four year degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you apply and then you get the job. And he did like what looked like a first aid course. Yeah. And then he was like a paramedic all of a sudden, which maybe is that easy in the States, I don't know. I don't reckon but it, it would a little be. Bit, a little bit too easy for me. Yeah, it um, did. Which was funny, but. Oh, he really deteriorated there. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, he did. Well, I mean, and that's something we can talk about. Well, let's talk about it first, maybe mental yeah. health. Because that was one of the interesting things that we talked about, some of the themes in it. And one of the themes that are, are pretty evident throughout it is um, is mental health. And yeah. I think the first, well, we, we see and hear about it from Monica and Frank, mum and dad. Yeah. Um, which reminded me we're going to do a genogram, but it's probably a bit long-winded and partway through. We, um, yeah, we were. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's pretty clear. Monica and Frank are mum and dad. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then you've got six kids. Six kids. Yeah, so you've got Fiona, Lip, Ian, Carl. Debbie. Debbie and Liam. Liam, yeah. And then there's a... You meet Frank's mother at one stage before she passes away. Um, spoiler, spoiler alert! alert. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't watched all the Shameless, turn this off now. And uh, if you haven't already, and then um, 
also not a back. massive part of the game no, true, in the point. whole scheme of things, yeah. but yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a lot of spoilers in this, so yeah. just be prepared. Um, and then you've got Sammy, who is Frank's uh, other daughter from another relationship. Mm. And then she has a son, Chucky, the little fat one, that ends up getting the, you know, when she tattoos the Nazi the, the swash sticker on his, on his forehead because he's going to go to jail, which is hilarious. I literally um, just snotted because yeah. I knew you're, what you are about to say. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And then there's a cousin, Bobby, who owns the house at one point. And then the Aunt Ginger, who's been dead the whole time but is yes. present as a person that... Um, Frank collects the welfare checks for. Yeah, the disability checks and yeah. they're in her house. Because It's funny you say Aunt Ginger mm. because I, um, in preempting this, just restarted watching Shameless again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just finished the episode where um, they steal a lady with Alzheimer's from an old people's home and pretend that she's Aunt Ginger. Yeah. Um, for whatever the department is that, um, I don't know, polices their disability checks that are being, yeah. I don't know who that would be. Um but, yeah, they steal the old lady from the um, old people's home. But then a lot of the siblings grow really attached to mm. fake Aunt Ginger because mm. they cook together and they're baking and yeah. they're spending time and, you know, connecting. So they're all really sad when they have to return Debbie it. Debbie especially. Debbie. Yeah. Debbie is very distraught. Yeah. Yeah, poor love. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so they're probably the kids and the main cast members. Yeah. The only other two we didn't really say are um, Kevin V. So they're mm. neighbours that live next door. V and um, Fiona are the oldest daughter, are best friends. Yeah. Um, and Kev is her partner. Mm-hmm. And they live next door. Yeah. There's probably, um trying to think of any other big players. Not really. We could probably introduce no, them. No, there's they... a million. Yeah. Which was funny, though, because so when we talked about setting this up, we said we could talk about it like we would do a case presentation of a family where you start with the genogram and explain things. Mm. And then I said to you, who the fuck's this auntie? <laughs> yeah. Right? And I think I still couldn't place her in mm. the show, which is so not dissimilar to if you work for child protection or any of these types of agencies or, you know, services that look at families and genograms and discussing relationships and things, mm. that all of a sudden, or you'll get a phone call and old mate's auntie is now in the picture and the kids are kind of looking at each other from? going... Who's this? Mm. And then you're kind of backtracking it. Well, actually, uh, Dad had another relationship with this woman and then they had a child and or, you know, whatever the example may be. Mm. So it's actually not dissimilar to have a family that is this confusing. Yeah, confusing. Or even more confusing than this. So, And also with family members that just pop up out of nowhere. I feel like that happens quite a bit. Yeah. Or, you know, cousin from X, Y and Z or... Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because when we, yeah, we were chatting about it and it was just like, oh, my God, this is not far from the truth the truth or the normal, which mm. is quite funny. Um, we were chatting about mental health. Yeah. So, Ian, I, so I was, what I was saying was I think that we kind of hear and see that Frank and Monica, mum and dad, present with mental health problems. Mm. But I suppose in terms of the impact, for me anyway, as a viewer, felt that the, the first sort of big one that came out to for us to f- feel like we were part of it was Ian when he first went into um, like a bit of a depression mm. and they identified that he might have bipolar. Yeah. Um, in the relate when he was in the re- started to be in the relationship with Mickey. Mm. Yeah. So that was the big one for me. Mm. I think the big one for me because it was the first season was um, Sheila. Who is Sheila? So Sheila oh, is her name Sheila? Yeah, Sheila. Yes, of course. So Sheila is the mum um, of a girl that lip tutors. 
And then they sort of just get involved <laughs> into it. sure does. The, yeah. Um, couple of under the desk, how you going there? But um, they get introduced initially because yeah. Lip's tutoring her in science, I think. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and then her husband, this it quickly unfolds over an episode, but her husband leaves her and mm. Frank, mm. of all people, mm. swindles in for Sheila. But yeah. Sheila has um, agoraphobia. Is that what we've yeah. Googled? Had yeah. To, yeah. Agrophobia. Fear of leaving the house. Yeah. So mm. she doesn't leave the house. When you get to her house, you have to take off your shoes, put them in a plastic bag. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and you have to be all, she's got a thing with um, germs and she can't leave the house. So that's probably, for me, was the mm. first yes, one right. that I noticed mm. in and the mad series. anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, and she tries to leave the house every day to go shopping. She writes a shopping list, she gets mm. dressed, she gets ready, and she goes to the door and she's like, all right, I'm going, and then opens the door and mm. has a massive panic attack every time. Mm. And I'd say she's probably got OCD as well because yeah. the cleaning, mm. of, of not just like the shoes, of course, but the house always sort of presents immaculately. And mm. I think you almost always see her in the kitchen. Always baking. Yeah, baking. Or cooking. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And incessantly, I think one of the episodes that I've just restarted, she's baked like hundreds and hundreds of muffins and the scene is her taking out another batch of the oven and running around the house but she's got nowhere to put them down because <laughs> there's already too many muffins everywhere. Yeah. Um, but, Which yeah, that's a... probably the first. Yeah. Mental health that I really saw. Yeah, and because another one of the another one of the themes in that come up in Shameless is coping mechanisms mm. for people's either um, situations or their addictions or their you know whatever it might be that's discussed, and that's obviously one of her coping mechanisms is the baking and the cooking, the providing for the family because mm. that's very quickly um, she just accepts Frank as being sort of her new partner or person lives in the house and you know cooks every meal for him, mm. gives him the newspaper at the table. Yeah. She also has the thing where she likes to... Clean him? No, she shoves the massive, massive... Um, sex toys. Sex toys up, his, up his butt. Yeah. Which is doesn't fit in anywhere. I think just a kooky part of the storyline, but... Yeah, she's got some... Maybe pretty... a gaining control sort of aspect, maybe, mm. of her situation. Yeah. Well, I think for her, the only thing that she's got control over is the house, really, because she mm. doesn't leave and she can't contribute to community outside of that house. Mm. Initially, anyway. Sorry, I'm just starting to laugh, laugh to myself because it's it's funny and I know it's a TV show and I always have to remind myself and like that it's a TV show and any other TV show that you watch is just a TV show. But how quickly Frank kind of just accepts that he's like, that this is going to happen to him, yeah. that he's going to go to bed, he's going to get a massive sex toy shoved up his ass. And then he just like, he's going to do it time after time. Even to the point that he starts, he runs into the ex-husband um, they frequent the same bar and so they're sitting at the bar one day and he buys him a beer and so they're sitting there having a beer together <laughs> and Frank turns to him and goes, does it ever get any easier? And the husband goes, pop to Advil half an hour before, helps. <laughs> and they're just in the pub having a beer discussing how to manage their orifices yeah. that are being penetrated. I it's think... very funny. And Frank's sitting there like he needs a little butt cushion. Yeah, a little, um, like a little donut. Yeah. Yeah, so funny. But he, I think that's the thing about Frank is that, you know, what you were saying before, he's such a hustler. For him, he's got somewhere to live. Mm. He's got a really nice house, roof over his head, someone that cooks and cleans for him, provides for him. He, get, he gets his hand on, like, her money and stuff like that. Yeah. And so for him he sees it as such an opportunity that he's okay yeah. with the extra activities that go on at night. Yeah. Mm. So bizarre. Um, Frankie boy. Yeah. But then I guess Sheila too, she ends up, if you remember, um, she has to look after Liam. Yeah. And then he wanders outside onto the street. And I can't remember, he was in danger. 
Yeah, there was something going on. Weather or something or... Yeah, I just remember, like, seeing him. Mm. But she goes outside. Yeah. And she realises. And it took the little boy to be out there Mm. for her to go out there and, and rescue him as such and... Then she, I, th- I feel like I remember she looks up and she's like, oh, my God, I'm outside the house. Yes, she um, doesn't. She's so focused on getting Liam because mm. he's got out of the house that she doesn't realise that she's... Yeah. Like, she knows, but she doesn't realise that she's outside. Mm. There's a bit of a light bulb moment for her. Mm. Mm. And then from then on she starts going outside and she puts in practical steps, which is what I think, you know, like a like a mental health service professional or, you know, a support service professional would do. They put in these incremental steps for her. All right, all you need to do today is you just walk out to the letterbox, you check the mail, you come back inside. Then yep. after that you walk. I think he actually talks about steps or metres um, on a map and she's like, she does her 100 metres for the day and then the next day she does 150 metres and um, she marks on the thing that she wants to go to the alibi. Yes, to, she wants to make it to the alibi, which is the pub. The pub. To but, go and see Frank. Yeah. And Frank is absolutely does not want this to occur. No, no, well, uh, because then if Sheila knows what he's up to, it's not a it's not Actually, idea. I just remembered why. It's because if she leaves, if she gets to the alibi, everyone at the alibi knows that he had sex with her daughter. That's why. Yes. Yeah. And then it's and then the aeroplane engine falls out of the sky and yeah. scares the shit out of her and she goes back inside. Um, but that's a whole other side of things that we don't necessarily need to get into. I reckon into you the, could do a, a, a whole podcast, yeah, on the daughter, but you could <sighs> do a whole podcast just on kooky Sheila. Yeah. Because she's even just as as a person, she's mm. quite kooky. Yeah. Without all of the additional characteristics that mm. they've built around her. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think really stands out, you'd mentioned before about bipolar, but is also the decline of people's mental health when they're not... Um, compliant with their medication. Mm. So there's moments throughout the series that um, Monica comes off her meds Mm. and you just watch as her um, presentation and her behaviour and her everything about her just slowly declines um, Mm. and then sort of manifests to a big blow-up and then she leaves again and And you don't see her. As equally as evident is when you see her get on her medication. Yes. And how level she can be and how motherly she can be and how Mm. much she functions within the household like she stereotypically should. Mm. Similarly with um, Ian, when he starts to decline in his own mental health and then um, seeks support and is diagnosed, semi-seeks support, I guess, Mm. um, and is diagnosed with bipolar, Mm. Um, I was about to say BPD then, wrong one. Um, but he's diagnosed bipolar. He's very reluctant to medication or yeah. treatment initially. Yeah. And I think the funny part with the all the kids is there's this ongoing battle that they're not going to be like their parents. Yeah. Like Fiona mothers the kids. I'm not going to be like my mum. Mm. Debbie is always, like, she's at school and then obviously her life, sort of goes on its own journey. Mm. Lip is like work ethic, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm not like my dad. Ian similarly and then Liam is just at the bottom doing his thing. Um, being a baby. Being a baby, yeah. Where, yeah, I think Ian's reluctance to accept the diagnosis is just like I'm not going to be like mum. Where then you see um, Fiona and Lip are kind of almost humorously not surprised that yeah. someone was diagnosed with bipolar. I think Fiona jokes, she's like, well, I thought it was going to be me. Mm. And it turns out that it's Ian. Um, and then they go back to, like, the same clinic that they took Monica to. They know exactly what medication to ask for. Like, it's just, like, they just pick up where they left off with Monica, which is kind of sad. 
but also I guess it just shows you that change transgenerational kind of trauma goes through them all but the fact that they just exactly know where to pick up from yeah it's just kind of funny and know how to exactly what needs to happen in that moment with what services and how to access that mm. yeah and even I guess the way in which they deal with him because he is reluctant they're so used to that mm. from their mother yeah um so even in the way that they deal with him and get him to the the psych ward and everything that follows on after that it's very I mean, there's parts of it that you're like, that's really good for Ian mm. because he got the support he needed and he's lucky he had those people around him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, he wouldn't have self-sought that support. But also really sad. Yeah. That that's something that you just know like that how to do. Yeah. Mm. And then I think what's kind of sweet, and actually, you know what, one of my favourite characters, if I could go back a step, is Mickey. Yeah, I love Mickey. Because he's kind of like that rough guy who kind of ends up, you know, he beats people up and he comes from a really rough family and he's yeah. like a dick at the start. Yeah. Um, but then ends up in the relationship with Ian and coming out as being gay and but still trying to be, well, not trying to be, he's still a tough guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, pretty staunch kind of character. But it shows the naivety in the relationship or his naivety to mental health issues probably from the way he was brought up because mm. his dad's that, you know, he's got the Nazi tattoos, he's been in jail, he's beat the shit out of people and sort of stuff. Um, I mean, just on a point to, to explain, I suppose, as well, like how naive his dad is, is that when he gets the Russian... He gets a Russian prostitute to yeah, have which sex is, with Mickey to fuck the gay away. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Svetlana. Sve- oh, yeah, yeah, it is Svetlana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, um, she sticks around. She does. But Mickey just goes, well, I'll just... Something like I'll just hang out with him until he's happy again. Yeah. You know, which is really sweet. Um, but it just shows the, the difference in the understanding from the different characters around the mental health side of things for for um, Ian. Mm. Yeah. Interesting that you bring up Mickey and I've just tried to place, I can remember Cuckoo Cuckoo Dad mm. and I, his sister. Mm. Where's mum? Do we see mum? I don't, no, I can't I don't recall think so. Mom. Okay. No, I don't yeah. think his mum ever. No. Another thing that we hadn't thought of. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then the other thing we'd sort of spoken about was like generalised breakdown. I think you see them literally... A couple of times a season, whether that's mm. um, from all of them, whether that's from Frank, Fiona, yeah. with, what, whatever. I think you see it like a generalised sort of um, sense of anxiety and um, depression that just becomes too much for them. Mm. I think um, the reality is that most of them would probably be diagnosed with PTSD if they really had some stringent testing done. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the breakdowns the, that you see throughout the series Due to things falling apart that I guess we in a functioning, um, you know, with a functioning socioeconomic status, we wouldn't necessarily think of, um, mm. you know, like, you know, a job opportunity not coming to fruition for us wouldn't be the end of the world. But for them, mm. it creates such an outburst of chaos. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was pretty much it for mm. mental health. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you were really get into it, you could probably go through and diagnose every character with something different. Yeah, true. Um, like, let uh, God knows if you, where you'd start with Frank, Mm-mm. but um, we're not going to start. But yeah, I think it's just a good general overview of of the show and some good examples. And I think that's what <clears throat> is what kind of made me think about the podcast idea of talking about the show is that you can highlight some different examples that if you were to watch the show or think back, and then. Then think about your current working, your working situation, your caseload. You can go, you know what? Actually, it 
it makes sense that that child's mother that, you know, she's always pedantic about my shoes or yeah. what have you or um, the manic depressive or what we were just talking about, um, bipolar kind of states that people can go through. It just gives you a really good visual look at it, mm. you know. They're just, yeah. You can yeah. imagine someone's life as well, as much as you want, but until you see it, you can't really, mm. you know, there's no full understanding there. So I think the depiction of life, I mm. guess, comments there, um, with Shameless actually does show, like, you know, if you think about it in an example of, you know, my young person won't get to their youth justice appointment or mm. they rock up at 2 o'clock but their appointment was at 10 and then you think of that in the context of an episode of Shameless and the chaos that they live in day in, day out, you can actually sympathise with why they don't get to their appointment on yes. time or if, you know, if not at all but if late. Yeah. There's a bit more of an um, insight, I guess, to the day-to-day workings of their life Yeah. Um, and normal, I guess, roadblocks and speed humps that we probably wouldn't come across that they do. Yeah. Um, you know, with the, even like Frank coming home drunk, being dropped off by the cops and he's asleep on the kitchen floor, that's a nightly thing. Yeah. Um, or having to move him out of the way so that you can cook breakfast because he's passed out in the kitchen. Mm. Um, being able to sort of take those instances in your stride and continue to go on. Mm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a bit of an insight into some simple things like that. Yeah, definitely. Mm. The other one, I guess, that we talking about Frankie Boy um, mm. and a massive theme, I guess, in the TV show would be um, Frank's addiction. Mm. Um, so I'm sure you guys have figured out that Frank's a bit of an alcoholic. Mm. Um, and is the whole show, he has spouts of sobriety um, or yeah. of abstinence, I guess you could say. Um, so I, he, where he's engaged in, I think the one at the moment is that he's doing a um, medical, what's it called when they... Uh, like the like a doctor will do different tests on you, like a medical study, a medical study. Yeah, which part's that in? <laughs> it's in the first season. So uh, they offer him to be a part of a medical study because uh, he's got yeah. such severe they alcoholism. Put the... They put an al- um, ankle That's monitoring right. yeah. bracelet on him. So he's got to stay sober for, I think it's two weeks, he gets three grand. Um, so there's little things like that across the mm. um, show that he's a little bit sober for, but mm. overall is drunk 99% of the time. Yeah. And I mean, there's addictions that run through the whole, old, the the whole show. And I think if you concentrate on substances, I suppose outside of substances, the only thing I was going to mention, I don't actually think it's an addiction, but how V and Kev do their little sex shows and things like that. But I think that's more just because they're kooky and yeah. they make money off it from the webcam sort of stuff. But they've all got an addiction. Like I think Frank mm. and then Lip ends up um, becoming an alcoholic mm. and going to AA. Mm. Fiona in the very end of things, so spoiler alert, ends up going to AA at the very end because mm. um, she ends up drinking a lot. You and see, also dabbles in other drug use. Yeah, well, there's throughout. the coke incident um, with Liam during which he leaves a coke out and he ends up, he nearly dies because he sniffs or consumes um, cocaine. Yeah. Um, you even see the boys, Lip, Ian, Lip and Ian, um, sharing joints and stuff in their bedroom. Yeah, when, very early on. Very early on. Uh, and they're both smoking darts throughout the whole show. Yeah. Like, that makes it really hard. Which, as a smoker, I hate watching because even last night when I started re-watching it, I had this aha moment where I went, this is why I fucking hate this show because they're constantly smoking and I'm like, oh, smoke break. Yeah. Oh, smoke break. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. I was the same. I was the same with Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, they're puffing away in that all the time, aren't they? Um, mm. Which, yeah, So the, and, then cause, and then you even see... 
Like I think for a majority of the show, none of them are over 21 or even 18 and they're always drinking beers in the house and it's yeah. condoned yeah. for, you know, for drinking. Well, there's is... scenes when Frank gets home and he's a bit drunk or um, I think Fiona says um, he thinks he's taken Molly but the only drug dealer that will give him tick is um, a schizophrenic that um, sells his medication masters other drugs or something like okay. that. She's like, so just wait. And eventually he dies in the ass and sort of passes out. But yeah. um, in that scene, they're all sitting in the lounge room and Frank's in a party mood, so they've got music on and all the kids are just sitting there drinking beers. And, yeah. and like, um, Carl would have been like eight or something yeah. in it and he's yeah. just sitting there sipping a beer. Yeah. And every now and again they take it off him. Yes. In, in episodes. Yeah. You know, but, um, but not consistently. No, mm. that's right. And it's I don't you might have to catch up to it because you're rewatching it, but there's mm. a really oh, I felt like a really touching and telling scene in the last season when um Fiona's drinking a lot and she starts going to the alibi and um she sits on um Frank's, Frank's stool. Chair. Yeah, mm. and he gets annoyed. And then she gets aggressive and they end up in it having a little confrontation and they don't really yell and scream at each other, but Frank just says to her, um, like you're you're like you're drunk or you're a drunk or something, and she's like, oh, as if you can fucking talk. And he's like, no, no, no. Says I'm a happy drunk because mm. you're not a good drunk. You're mm. a bad drunk. Mm. Goes when I get drunk, I'm happy. I want to have fun. I party. Said you because you abuse people, you break things, you want to fight people. He's like, you need help. And I was like, wow, mm. like that's from his character in the TV show, of course, but it shows that he has insight. Into, into his drinking. own drinking and yeah. the fact that he obviously because he gets the liver transplant in season whatever and conscious well he tries to drink a beer a day or something like mm. that so he conscious consciously tries to monitor his alcohol intake for that part but the fact that he kind of demonstrates that he understands what he's doing mm. all, almost all the time yeah i just thought it was really interesting and i thought almost romantically put to fiona mm. that it, that it and then it almost condoned what he did because he understood it. But at the same time, I think maybe, and you can, maybe could speak to this, but someone that's like a high-functioning substance user yeah, almost has that understanding and, oh, dare I say it, control over the way they use their substances. I can't believe you just said control in regards to drug use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think that I remember that scene actually. Hmm. Um, but I think that's the reality with, like addiction or substance use in any situation is that you've got everybody reacts differently. You know, there's some mm. people that um, alcohol doesn't agree with them, but they smoke heaps of weed. Mm. You know, there's some people that get really aggressive when they smoke ice, but there's some people that are just happy when they smoke mm. ice and they're just having a good time, you know. Um, and I think that's the reality of we only hear of the bad, shitty situations. Yeah. Um, we don't necessarily hear the good. But I think that there's, um, yeah, there's definitely elements of that in every substance, just not. Um, alcohol, but for, it's funny because Frank made a really insightful mm. statement there in in that he's happy and he's having fun, but you're nasty. Yeah. Mm. And then he says to her, you need to get help. Yeah. And it was like the irony, but then at the same time he was so right yes. about it that he, like, yeah, I was like, oh, fucking hell. Like, yeah, it just really, it just was really well done. Mm. Yeah, really, really well done. I thought it was cool. And it's right though, because for the most part, like Frank's a giant fraud and loves a good hustle, mm. but he's not a violent person. Mm. You see him engage in acts of violence, but he's not. Yeah. He doesn't really ever hurt anybody. He steals things from people and rips people off and things, but 
as far as I can remember, he doesn't actually physically hurt anyone, at least probably not anyone that didn't deserve it. Mm. Mm. Nothing stands out at me. No. It's those old school criminal morals that are there, aren't they? Mm. That you can kind of do certain things and then not do certain things. Yeah, some things are okay and some aren't. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unwritten rules. Sorry, I was just pausing. I had a thought that it's gone. Was it a good one? Probably not. I mean, let's fish it back. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think we've, well, I don't think I know, we've spoken about, um, you go if you're still on the addiction train. I was no, go. it was the addiction train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have never, ever wanted to be part of AA more than I did watching <laughs> Shameless. Honestly. I mean, I can take you to one if you want. But I don't have an addiction to alcohol. I want, I've made this comment they before. They don't, like, make you do a breatho when you walk in make, the door, mate. Relax. Make you check. Yeah. Um, I, I've made this joke before and I was like, I want AA but just for life. Yeah, okay. And I don't actually think, and I, th- I think, I feel like we talked about this in Joey's podcast and I had a bit of a Google because I was going through a rough time a little while ago and I was like, I just want a group of people to be able to listen to my shit and then tell me everything's going to be okay and yeah. we just all go home again. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was like, oh, man, I wish I had an addiction to alcohol because I would love to go to AA. I mean, you probably could go to AA and do that. I've had clients before that aren't um, alcoholics or don't even drink alcohol. Their addiction is, um, you know, to ice or to something else, like Mm. a stimulant. But they've gone to AA because they found that NA was too triggering for them and that they would go and see people that they use with on the street or they buy from or um, peers that they, you know, were connected to in the Mm. drug scene and they didn't like that. They were going there to get support and try and be sober. So for them, NA didn't work. So Mm -hmm. they started accessing AA. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, you could go and give it a crack. I don't think they would be. I don't think they'd complain. It's a safe place. It is a safe place. Yeah. It's you could stand funny. up and be like, "Hi, I'm Josh. I'm not an alcoholic." Yeah. I just want this group to support that. Yeah, they'd probably be into it. Um, but yeah, I, but it was really interesting. And look, I, I I know AA is a really famous, you know, treat treatment. Yeah. I guess treatment program. Group. Yeah, treatment program. But it just program. um, yeah, it was just really cool to watch. I guess lip attend and find something positive from it and then encouraging Fiona to go in the very end of the season nine as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah. I just... And he really accesses the program as well. He doesn't mm. just, like, go to meetings and mm. leaves his shit there at the door, which is often a bit of a depiction. He really sort of encompasses the whole 12 steps and reaches out to sponsors. and mm. Which he didn't want to do at the start. No. It was the guy from the motorbike shop mm. um, sort of said, you know, come and play the play the game or don't bother sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah, it was just cool. But it just, yeah, it made me think of that. Every time I saw the, the AA theme and stuff, I was like, oh, man. Mm. But, yeah. You should go and check one out once. I think it's a mm. educational experience for people. Mm. I bet and it would be. Quite a, like, for a sombre situation, there's something quite beautiful about it. Mm. Mm. About the acceptance and... Yeah. You know, just the general, I guess, vibe. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Someone once told me that you can always tell when an AA meeting's going on because everyone's outside drinking coffee and smoking darts. Yeah. <laughs> Bulk. <laughs> they do. Funny. Even if you think about any movie yeah. or TV show yeah. that AA's been depicted in, what are they doing? Yeah. Drinking coffee and punching darts. Punching darts out yeah. the front. Yeah. There you go. What was it you about to say? I'm sorry. No, no, fine. I was going to um, talk about the depiction of, like, child protection or what they call... Yeah. Um, DCFS. 
DCFS. Which I'm assuming would be what? Department of Community and Family Services? Department of Child and Family Services. Makes sense. Children and Family. Maybe? Children and Family Services, yeah. Mm. And the way that they depict that isn't very accurate. Not in the Australian system. Well, no. the Victorian yeah. system that we're aware of. This is true. This is the, true. I know from experience that the foster system over there is quite different as well, like that they have a lot more, like fostering a child over there is a lot more, is a lot easier. Mm. Um, there's a movie called Instant Family with Mark Wahlberg and um, the Aussie girl, um, Rose Margaret. Byrne. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Rose Byrne. I was about to say Margot Robbie. <laughs> No, well, that's a fair, fair point. Um, you couldn't put Margot Robbie and Mark Wahlberg in a movie together. My goodness me. I'm not a director. No, I'm, I'm saying that they're both so, so good looking and be overwhelming. It'd be ridiculous. Maybe that's a movie people would like to watch. I'll watch it. Copyright. I'll watch the shit out of it. Um, but, yeah, and then, yeah, so pretty much the short, uh, long story short is that they, they adopt a, um, three kids but they kind of go to like a, like a, like a, like an open day at the, the at the this foster center, right. and the kids are all playing in the in the park, and they kind of pick go the and like pick, pick the kids that they want. Mm. Um, but the, the the story is a true story, um, well based on a true story of a guy, and um, I can't remember his name. He did a Joe Rogan episode. He he writes and produces TV shows. Um, Walt Disney. No, but it wasn't Walt Disney that was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes for anyone that wants to check it out, the episode from the Joe Rogan. But he said it wasn't dissimilar to the movie because he, so the, the guy who wrote the movie was the guy who fostered the family in real life. Right, okay. And he's like, it was really not dissimilar to how I wrote the movie. Like, we literally went and kind of picked, like, we'll take these ones and then, mm. like, within a few weeks they were home where we don't really have that here. No, um, and even you think of the amount of times that Fee and, um, Fee, V and Kev uh, um, adopt children or yes. foster children, I think um, B says at one stage, Kev, you're not a father. We're just fostering her for a couple of weeks so I've got enough money to pay off my ticket fines. We're not making a family. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a generalised... Yeah, you just go It's like normal. And, yeah. Like you just go and get this kid that you take care of for a couple of weeks so you can mm-hmm. get some cash from the government. Yeah, which is, and I think it is a lot more like that in the States. But, um, but yeah, for like fostering a child here or, or even just providing... Um, like home-based care and stuff, you've got a fairly rigorous process to go through, as you should. Mm. Um, but it's not certainly not like that and it's almost certainly never like a permanent care situation. Like you might look after them for maybe years, but it's not not often that it's sort of like you get the child and they're with you forever. Mm. An interesting thing, though, that is depicted in Shameless is when um, Fiona takes guardianship of the kids mm. from Frank. Mm. So... I remember she was originally going to do it, but they'd sort of said to her if she was going to do it, then they wouldn't get Frank's payments. And then she yeah. could that she used those payments to support the kids, so she couldn't do anything about it. And it's not until Frank calls DCFS and does a fake call, um, anonymous call. That's right. Talking about himself yeah. and how he treats the kids and isn't home and yeah. what the... Um, family situations like yeah. that Fiona goes, right, that's it. Yes. Fuck yeah. you. Yeah, and she, I think she asks. No, they end up going to court for that one. Yeah. And then she gets guardianship yeah. of the children, which I don't I don't know that would happen here, but it could very well happen over there. Mm. But nevertheless, stepping up again and providing that responsibility to be guardian for the kids. And that was a controversial part of it for me because I, my wife and I had this conversation because 
later in the seasons, she starts to say, like, I'm not your mum, I'm mm. your sister. You guys need to fend for yourselves. I want to have my own life as well. Mm. Like, sort your shit out. I'm not going to do everything for you. Mm. And I and I was like, but you signed up to be the guardian. Like, I don't think you can pick and choose. And then and my wife said, well, you know, it's not so much that she's going to do everything for them. That That's why she's the guardian. She just was getting them out of the pickle that they were in mm. and wanting to make sure that she had the legal responsibility and the legal, I guess, like, availability to support them. Um, but anyway, it's just interesting. I personally was like, you can't decide to be the guardian and then decide to tell Not the daughter to pick, pick, you know, sort, sort their shit out. Pull up their socks. Pull up their socks. Um, but anyway, nevertheless, not a massive plot issue. No. Random side note, though. Mm. Quite like the house. Whose house? Theirs? Yeah. To you? Yeah. The holes in the walls. And... I just think it's quirky as fuck. Yeah, it's like, pretty cool. the wallpaper. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's funny. And I just like that there's the two stairs from mm. either side. That is weird, yeah. Of the house. So mm. you, there's a set of stairs when you first walk in in mm-hmm. the living room mm. and then there's a set of stairs at the back of the house where the kitchen is. Mm. So you can go upstairs by a couple of different... Mm. Yeah. And that then... is a cool house. Yeah. Mm. Architecturally, I like it. There you go. I don't know how... Um. But yeah, we're talking about the child protection system in in the show, how it's depicted. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think about some of my own experiences with with CP and how sort of similarly they relate, or to, to provide, I guess, anyone that's listening that's wondering mm. how similar they are. It's interesting the way they depict it in um, Shameless and. Keeping in mind, we are aware it's a TV show. Yeah. Um, but around DCFS, getting that cold call, rocking up the next morning, taking the kids, mm. very instantaneous. Mm. Um, whereas I'm not too sure about the states, but here, you know, someone would lodge mm. um, a dispute or a complaint to child protection, and then it has yeah. a whole intake and investigation process. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you don't really see that side of. Yeah. Because they do they take the kids from Fiona? Yes. Yes. See, and, and she's over 18. Yeah. So I would say if that was to occur in, in, in Melbourne, the only experience I've got, that she would be seen as a responsible person mm. for the children to be remaining in her care. Protective, yeah. Yeah, protective enough. That's mm. right. Yeah, I would say Better so. than out-of-home care, which is what inevitably the boys yeah. go into for a period of time. They all do, yeah, because... Debbie ends up in one foster care placement with, like, a whole bunch of other kids and the lady running the sweatshop in the downstairs thing, making them make things. One of the things, actually, I guess, in that, so the boys go into, like, a boys' home, which looks like a juvie, um, and they take some money with them and they lip pays off, like, the guy that one of the the boys in the boys' home that kind of is, like, running the show. Like, the the top dog, sort of, as they say, which I freaking hate that saying because no, I don't think anyone ever uses it. And they always use it in um, fucking um, Wentworth. They're like, they always use it like amongst the prisoners and they're like, let's vote for top dog. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. No one votes for top dog. You just know who runs the, runs the unit and you shut the fuck up and you like, it's just unspoken. It's not fully spoken about like hats in the name. Like it's just drives me insane. It's just a, a little bugbear of mine about Wentworth. But anyway. I just um, imagine life is doing prison, sitting around in a circle with a hat, putting right. their names in, being like, no. I, want, I want to be the top doll. That's right. You ask anyone that's ever been in prison and they'll go, they'll <laughs> tell you, the, I'll tell you who the top dog is. It's the quietest person in the room mm. that doesn't get their hands dirty and doesn't do a fucking thing. Mm. That's the top dog. Mm. Playing um, chess in the corner. 100%. Calculated motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> and miles away from any incident that ever happens. 
that's the top dog. Mm. Um, and they certainly are not called that. Anyway, but yeah, Lip pays off the like the guy who sort of runs the the kid the, amongst the kids. And it just bugged me a little bit because I feel like Lip is a way more of a staunch type character than that. Yeah. But to, to go in there straight away and give guy, you know, 50 bucks and go, we don't want any trouble. Mm. For me, Lip's character is like, no, 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 no. Like, we're not following your rules. Like, we'll, we'll behave ourselves. We'll, we'll keep to ourselves. We'll do the right thing. But... Mm. I'm not going to get stood over by you. And also he's super intelligent. Yeah. Um, so I guess to put a little bit of context around it, like Lip throughout the show gets paid to go and sit people's oh, that's right. um, mm. LSATs and exams for them. He's got mm. a photographic memory and he just retains information. So he earns quite a bit of money. Yeah. And um, he ends up getting busted and that becomes a large part of his story, the professor that he then, you know, builds a relationship with. But his level of intelligence mm. for me um, not something I thought at the time and it's only just because you've said it now around um, his personality but also his intelligence, like yeah. in his intelligence. I would think that he would have a more like mastery or a crafty way mm. to sustain himself there mm. rather than just to straight up pay someone off. Yeah. It's interesting also the way that they depict, um, I guess, you've got your your minimal amounts of involvement from child protection or DCFS. <laughs> Um, throughout the series. But also, overall, they've all slipped through the cracks. Yeah. If you think about all of the siblings, they've all dropped out of school. Fiona didn't finish high school. Liam's quite young. There would be, like, mm. paediatrician things that needed to be checked up yeah, on. That's a good point. Debbie drops out of school, yeah. becomes pregnant as a teenager, and nowhere are DCFS consistently mm. involved in their lives. Yeah. They just, it's almost like, Mm, they're from the south side. That's just normal. Yeah. And that's probably a good point is that it's a show which, which depicts... Uh, sorry, what I was going to say was, and something we haven't talked about, but I'm sure something everybody is aware of, that the original show is an English show and the US is a remake and that's what we've seen and that's what we're talking about. But um, I wonder if maybe um, in in the States... I don't know, but is that maybe a little bit more normal? Like, obviously, here I'd like to think that we probably have a really stringent, um, you know, system to protect children. Is it in is it in America that you can maybe slip through the cracks a little more and what we see in this show is kind of normal? I don't know. We should have got an American we to have. come on the podcast. Well, if anyone's listening and you're from America... Let us know. I'm intrigued yeah. to know. Hmm. Because if you think about it, how do child protection notifications get made? The police, schools, neighbours, family, friends. Concerned members of the public. Yeah. And yep. so automatically for me you see at the very start, anyway, the police are always bringing Frank home mm. That and they know that Monica or there's no mother there. Mm. But maybe they have confidence in knowing that Fiona's there and that like a lot of people's opinions could be that having child protection involved in your life or your family or the family of the people you're thinking of could actually be worse. It wouldn't be of, like, the police and um, teachers and teachers and things like that have a duty of care. Yeah. So they probably wouldn't think like that, but maybe members of the community or family and friends may have that well, I guess no members of the community would really be reporting stuff because they're all in the exact same situation. That's right. That's what happens when you live in low... Yeah. You know, socioeconomic areas. Southside pride. Yeah. Southside Chicago. Um, but definitely education would have been one that I thought, and you're right, the police constantly dropping Frank off drunk. Mm. 
And there might be, because Fiona is friends with that cop who mm-hmm. she ends up sleeping with and taking his virginity, who's yeah. very religious. And then he ends up being gay later. Yes. Yeah, they drop that in like one episode and, that's, and then he yeah. goes away again. But It's, uh, what was his name? I can't remember. Can't remember. Um, but he, besides him, obviously there's um, another partner that's with him that seems semi-useless really. Mm. Um, but even for him, even if you thought Fiona was capable mm. to take care of the family, there's also multiple images of her out nightclubbing to all hours of the morning and True. the kids being home alone yeah. and living in a, an area like the south side that's not very safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you've got kids all under the age of 16 all stuck just sleeping at home by themselves, including Liam, who's a baby. Mm, a baby at the start, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Those fruit flies. It's weird. Um, yeah. We were going to talk about some of the interesting coping mechanisms that are, that are seen through the show. Because mm. I think sometimes they're things that you you can easily, whether it's in your personal life or at work, um, dismiss there's something that's unusual or kooky about somebody, but actually it's um, something that we talk a lot about is what's driving the behaviour. Mm. So someone that is, I mean, the easiest one is like um, a child acting out, like a, a toddler is, all right, they're screaming and shouting, but they're not a bad kid, obviously. No. What's driving the behaviour? They're hungry, they're tired, they're, you know, another kid's playing with their toy or with teenagers and young adults and things like that. Um you know, they've, they've come to the office and they started smashing the place up, just yeah. as an extreme example. They're not here because they don't like the office and they want to break the doors. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to smash that office. I hate those. Yeah. But what's yeah. happened for you? What's, you know, what's gone on in your day or your yeah. week or, you know, what's the driver of the behaviour? Mm. And some of those can be really, I guess, um, in like inconsequential or... Like the behaviour that they're oh, okay. doing, like the yeah. baking, for yeah. example. Like there's no consequence for that. Bake as much as you like. Yeah. Like it's really it's not, not detrimental a... in any way. That's right. But actually what's going on that um, old mate. Um, Sheila. Sheila is yeah. like super anxious. Mm. She feels like her daughter's out of control. Her mm. husband's left her. And the way that she can control her life and her situation is by keeping an immaculately clean house, baking and providing all these things, probably so Frank doesn't leave like her husband did. Yeah. Um, and that, her, you know, that she can provide for her family and, and she has control over the situation. She has control of the ingredients. She can cook as much as, the, as she wants to, you know, that sort of stuff. So I just think, yeah, like it was worth mentioning that there's so many different um, coping strategies within the show. Mm. That um, Another one that we didn't bring up under mental health but also that they sort of slot in every now and again is Carl's tendencies to torture animals. At the start, he did yeah. it a lot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but then he lo- loses that mojo a little, like, probably not a good mojo, um, but he loses that, I guess, desire to do things like that. Because remember when he ends up rescuing all the stray, not stray dogs, but he goes to do the community work at the guy who puts the dogs down. Yeah. And he goes and, and rescues them all. Yeah. Um, that's the thing I'd do. Yeah. I don't think anyone could, well, obviously vets do. And didn't you say you didn't want to be a vet? Was that someone else? No, that was um, other Nat. The other Nat. Yeah, she um, did her work placement at right. the vet and realised that people don't always take their animals to the vet because they're healthy. And they're yeah, dirty. yeah, yeah. But no one wants to put their dog down. No. So, you know, I don't know anyone that could that could probably do that. But, um, but yeah, it's funny because it talks about him kind of using his mode, like losing his 
willingness to want to hurt things and that troubles him about wanting to join or not join the army. Yeah. Remember? And do you remember when he ends up in the, the, the other kid? It's so ridiculous because the kid challenges him to a duel. I don't remember the duel. So there's this, so he, he, Carl's trying to get into West Point, the academy school for, yeah. for the military. And then um, V ends up um, blackmailing a senator by whipping him and stuff that he really enjoys it um, and talk. Not, she doesn't blackmail him. But she goes in and dominates him, one mm. of her characters for her sexual things. Mm. Um, she goes and dominates him and she's like, you need to put Carl Gallagher as your nominated person as you because he, he only can do one support letter for this school. Right. And it takes he does it and it and it takes the opportunity away from another kid. I think he comes and knocks on Carl's door and he challenges him to a duel. <laughs> and he's like, all right. And he goes, you get to pick the weapons, um, guns, knives or whatever, and Carl's like, guns. And then so Carl ends up going and gets two handguns. <laughs> they meet at this place, they get the guns, and then the kid goes, all right, we've got to walk 20 paces and then turn around. I saw it in a movie. <laughs> and then Carl's like, all right, and they walk 20 paces away from each other, turn around, and Carl points the gun straight at him. And so, of course, it's just ridiculous because Carl's going to shoot some kid over um, admission into a military school. And then uh, the kid breaks down. He's like, no, nah, don't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I never wanted to go there. I want to go to the school of, like, fine arts and poetry and stuff. <laughs> and then um, and then he's like, just shoot me because then I don't have to go. And Carl's like, all right, because he thinks, you know, if uh, if you don't have to go to the school, then I get the I entry. I get the position, yeah. And then Carl ends up shooting him in the thigh. <laughs> and and he's like, and the kid's like, ah, you know, um, I won't be able to go to the school anymore. This is perfect. Yeah. And he's like, Carl's like, it's a flesh wound. It'll heal in a few weeks. And then the kid's like, you got to shoot me again. And Carl's like, all right. And he shoots him in the other leg, but straight through the bone. <laughs> <laughs> what did you shoot him in the same, same leg? Same leg. Oh, I know exactly. Asshole. That's what I thought. I'm like, he shot him in both <laughs> legs. What a prick. But then he gets his mojo back for wanting to join the military because he shot this kid. Yeah. Which is just so funny that you can shoot a kid in two legs and not get away with it because it's a TV show. But anyway. It's interesting that two of them, two of them, um, are interested in the military and want to be a part of yeah it that is sort of association. I wonder if it's mm. got something to do with. I know that people in the states are really like it's a different sort mm. of mm. culture over there than it is here. Yeah, protect and serve the country and stuff. Yeah, but I didn't necessarily get the vibe from Carl or Ian that initially it was to protect and serve. No. Ian's one they never really explained. He kind of was introduced to the show as someone who was always running and training and things because he wanted to be. Mm. The Carl's was after he was in prison or juvenile prison, um, he meets that girl, um, the black girl with the dad who's the copper. Yes. And then the sergeant. Yes. And then they go shooting and then uh, he helps... Um, chase down like some a criminal some bad that dude. escapes or something. Yeah, yeah. that's and right. He's like, I want to be a cop, and then he, I think, twists that and then wants to join the military. Yeah, yeah, um, which is quite funny, but um, quite an organised and scheduled yeah goal. Yeah, and which would be for some people living in such chaos, which would be desirable. Yeah, and not dissimilar to what we hear, I think, from young people that spend time in custody that they actually enjoy it mm. for the reason that they have structure and security and predictability mm. that you would absolutely get in the army yeah. or um, or a similar sort of um, workforce. I've suggested it to people before, um, young people. No one's actually ever gone on and done it, but I've, ever, I've actually said, have you ever thought about joining the army? 
because it has a lot of similar aspects to not necessarily prison, but things that you would be lacking and but things that you seem to benefit from. Mm. The regularity, the structure, um, you know, stuff like that. But it's a long, it's a it's a long bow to draw because you know you've got to pass a psychology. Psychological testing. There's also probably some grammar and being able to speak literacy and numeracy. Yeah, Josh is out. Yeah, (laughs) don't take your test at um, twenty to seven. No, that's a good point. Um, Your linguistic skills might not be up to scratch. No, but it is interesting. Yeah, they both wanted to do that. Yeah. Mm. One of a couple of other things that they talk about um, is like self sabotage, Mm. which you've probably seen heaps in your work as well. Of that um, self sabotage stuff, and yeah, Fiona is a classic for it, isn't she? She does it with her relationships, with her work, her family, her relate. Yeah, not even just like her intimate relationships, but her friendships, mm. um, her associations. Most people outside of her family, really, anyone outside of her direct siblings, mm. she. Yeah, I would say self sabotages in some way, shape or form, whether that be minuscule or, or large. Mm. Um, but even like her first relationship that I think is depicted on the show with... Um, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy and Jimmy or Steve. Yeah, Jimmy or Steve that turns out to be a bit of a dodgy dog. Um, but even for him initially, I think they got injured at the bar. That's right. He punches the bouncer. Oh, yeah. Because they get um, kicked out, although they won't let back in or whatever. Um, and he ends up going back to her house. And, it like, the things that he does for her is, like, I can afford a washing machine and he buys mm, her one. Mm, mm. Um, or he brings them all breakfast and things like that. And initially she's like, you've got an ulterior motive, you're up to something. Yeah? Um, which I think for her is definitely a coping mechanism of how she's survived so long being the caregiver for that family. Um, but once they are in that relationship and they, you know, things seem pretty serious, he, he cares for her siblings and... He bought the house next door. Do you remember? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so he and they in and out of that relationship mm. all over the the TV series. Um, but even yeah, Fiona's had some pretty interesting um, relationships. She dated that older dude sure. who was a heroin addict. Mm. That was an interesting a recovered yeah. addict who then returned. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, because yeah, he started using it and then he came back and did one of her steps with her, and she's like, "Is am I one of your steps?" She yes. The shit. Yeah. 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 Did you? Did you ever watch The Walking Dead? No. No. Sorry. Why? Because in so the so she gets the job at the diner at the very last episode of a particular season, maybe like say season five, and the character that plays Sean in that episode is the guy that plays Negan in The Walking Dead. I was talking to you about him earlier, the yeah. really charismatic bad guy. Yeah. Um, and I was like, fucking hell, it's Negan. Like that's hilarious. And then in the next season, it's a different actor, and. Yeah, right. I did a bit of Googling and stuff. It turns out like they, he was like a fill-in. He was never meant to be a long-standing member, like cast member that they just had him for that moment. I don't really understand why you do that. But I also wondered whether it coincided with him going on The Walking Dead. Yeah. But I didn't get that far into it to look at dates and when they were recording and that sort of rabbit hole stuff. But it's just interesting because it was just like a random... It's interesting character. though, even probably not too relevant here, but interesting yeah. that potentially post the end of that season that guy wasn't going to be written, Sean wasn't going to be written into the plot. Yeah, possibly. And then that's been rewritten. Because mm. yeah, there's been true. a couple of stories that I've heard of of, like, people having a part being in a movie and then them just being mm. cut. Written out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted if they were going to write out Carl. I mean, this is off topic, but I was wondering if they are going to write out Carl 
when he goes to military school because he's standing in the bus doorway and he goes, I'm going to come back a man. And I said to my wife, I was like, I wonder if he won't be in it for a couple of seasons, maybe because of his own personal life, whether he's going to school or something, Mm. but he'll come back in a couple of seasons a lot more grown up and literally be like a man Mm. having come back from military school and almost like a a bit of fun that they're Mm. having with him saying that. Um, But, I mean, he didn't. Um, But, yeah, I also because I also wondered if they were going to write Ian out when he went to join the army. Yeah. But then, obviously, they didn't do that either. But, um, hmm. It's funny. I really liked Ian in the early seasons, but not so much in the later ones. With the gay Jesus stuff? Yeah. Not because he was being gay Jesus. I think I just found his character frustrating. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was a bit frustrating. Yeah. He got, like, this weird level of, like, ego. Hmm. Hmm. Like a exacerbated sense of bravado and I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, he was a bit funny. He wasn't my favorite. Yeah, he certainly wasn't like one of my favorite characters. Yeah, um, I was just having a look because there's a little, a few different little articles and stuff that we referenced for for today, and like some of the um, coping mechanisms was like sabotage, running away, impulsivity, inappropriate behavior, the substance use, promis- prom- I can never say so promiscuity, being promiscuous. Um, he did that well. Thanks, um, and violence, which I don't know, if violence is really a coping mechanism for them, but. But interesting nonetheless, so. Definitely anger. Yeah. I think it's that, um, it's almost like that teenage angst mm. that they all have, but it's more like a frank angst. Yeah. <laughs> or a parenting angst, um, which is pretty understandable, I suppose. Yeah, fucking frank. Yeah. I still love when he wakes up in Canada. That's so good, yeah. Because yeah. he got... Um, he got Jimmy took in there. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy kidnaps him. So Jimmy drugs him at the bar, <laughs> waits till he, like, Finishes his sesh, yeah. follows him, yeah. puts him in the boot, drives him to Canada. And I love that he he thought he was doing the right thing as yes. well. Yes. He was like, I thought I'd be doing the right thing. You yeah. got rid of Frank. Yeah, which is, shows you that they all got annoyed about that. It's like they want to almost like, yeah, it's funny because they all, they all know how bad he is for them and for him and for the community and everything, but they also don't want to let him go. Yeah. It's this weird balance. And I see, and you probably have seen this a lot too with like young people in, in the different services that you've worked in that they have really like... Unwavering. Yeah. Not loyalty to mm. negligent parents. And it, it, it will never go away, their love for them. It's always going to be there in one way or another. Mm. Yeah, it's just interesting. It is. Yeah. And I don't think it's something that you... like. It's definitely something we see. I don't think it's something that we try to disrupt. Like, obviously, there's situations and environments where that that relationship might have, like, a significant detrimental effect to the point where someone's in harm's way. We'd obviously put safety planning in place for that. But also, I think sometimes there's a bit of a, oh, you know, mum or dad's not a good dude, you should cut that relationship. Mm. And sometimes it's not necessarily about that. It's about supporting them in how they function in that relationship, mm, you know, mm. how they manage themselves, how they put healthy boundaries in place, um, being able to support that. Because a, a lot of the time with people that you work with, you might, that relationship might become fractured and you, not, you might not support them to foster that. But one of the biggest things that we see is that people repeatedly go back to their parents. Mm. So if even if they have been removed from care, there's still an important level in supporting their, that relationship to do rupture and repair work yeah. because inevitably they'll be doing it with no supports in place. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. I remember having that conversation with someone. I said, I think the young person was maybe 16 or 17 
and it was about family and the relationships with the family. And I said, you got to think about what their life is going to be like when they're 19 or 20. Mm. Where are they going to go to if they need help? Where are they going to go to if something goes wrong or if they just want to go and see connect, seek connection with family? Where are they going to go? And it was that they would go to their parents, go to their mum, go to their dad, whoever. So it's what we need to do now while they're with us, while we can work with them at the age of 16 or 17, give them the skills and the strategies and the supports, put them in place now so that they're not trying to do that or need that when they don't have any supports around them, a care mm. team around them. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember one of the earliest sort of memories I've got around having this conversation with a young person and I didn't even realise I was so brutal when I said it, is I said to him, I go, why do you keep going back to your mum's place? Because it was bad. It was not a, not a good environment for him. She was um, not exploiting him but like small things like she would get him to go pick up drugs for her or they'd use together and stuff like that and he'd always get in trouble. And I said, why do you keep going back to your mum's place? And he's looked at me and he's like, she's my mum. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, of course. Like, stupid question to ask. Like, should have thought more about it. But it taught me something and I haven't forgotten it, you know. Mm. Um, and but, I think it's hard for um, sometimes for people to understand that that bond, mm. like they might have had really good relationships with their parents so they can't understand that even though this person is your mum, yeah, but she keeps doing X, Y and Z. Like, she treats you like shit or she exploits you or she whatever that might be. But at the core of it, that's still their mum, mm. and and that's probably been their mum like their whole life. Like that's yeah. what they're used to. You're used to this sort of functioning level of human. I guess that's the reality. We can't choose who our parents are. Can't choose who our family are. Yeah, luck of the draw. Yeah. Um. One of the we were talking about this, and I think what's funny is that what is interesting is that throughout our whole conversation, pretty much we haven't really ever talked about Liam. No. And I was saying to you oh, earlier, no. like if there was a kid that I would be worried about or if there was a person in, in the family that if I was a professional working with the family that I'd be most worried yeah, about. Yeah, who are you most concerned about? It'd be Liam. Yeah. Because he's just been exposed to his whole life of this crazy family and all of the um, the different um, diagnosis that everybody has, the different mm. addiction that he's been surrounded about. I mm. mean, he's had that cocaine overdose when he was little and they talked about him having an acquired brain injury for it, yes. which never really followed on because he's actually really intelligent. Yeah. So maybe he just never got an acquired brain injury from it. But, yeah, if there was, a, if there was one of the family members that was potentially going to have issues later on in life, it would probably be Liam. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. he's such a small... I think that's why he gets forgetting about in general because that's the way they've written the story as well. Mm. Like there's plenty of times that they forget about Liam or they'll all be getting ready in the morning and they're like, Who's taking Liam today? Yeah. You know, Liv will be like, I can't, I'm taking an exam. And, you know, everyone goes into why they can't take Liam. And I think Debbie ended up taking him for show and tell <laughs> on the school bus <laughs> in one of those, like, um, little baby carriers. Baby car- yeah. yeah. She grabbed us on the school bus with him. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's interesting that we forgot about Liam. Yeah. But I, Liam gets forgotten about, forgotten about. And it, I think it's the second or third last episode he goes and lives with um, one of his friends from school. Yeah. Um, and what we what we realise or what we learn is that Liam left the house two days beforehand but everyone in the house thinks he left that morning. Mm. And then they show a flashback where he's standing in the middle of the kitchen and it's manic, you know, there's people everywhere getting ready and he's asking them, can I go and live with my friend? And um, he asks repetitively and then Debbie just turns around and goes, yep, yeah, fine, okay, no worries, and then keeps going about what she was doing. So he's like, sweet, I'm gone. Mm. But they had no idea that, you know, Liam's been missing for two days and... 
or where he is or where he is or anything. Yeah, it's just quite funny. Mm. So mm. one one last observation that I had, and we talked about this, was um that the Gallagher's have work ethic. Yeah, don't they? They do. Every single one of them, they hustle, they figure it out. Like, I they're think, very resilient people. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I think that's another takeaway too is that people who grow who who sort of live in and live through hard times is just the level of resilience that they develop. Mm. It's pretty, um, yeah, it's like unfathomable, I think. It's an interesting viewpoint because I think there's definitely a stigma in like community and society of, you know, people that come from low socioeconomic families and might be on Centrelink and may have been on Centrelink their whole life. There's Mm. a bit of a perception that, you know, they're lazy, they don't try, they're just dull bludgers. Um, You know, there's all of these sort of negative connotations attached with it. But then you see... You see those similar circumstances with the Gallagher family. But every opportunity that they have to work or make money they take, like I think in the first season, um, Fiona works like five different jobs and just picks up shifts doing whatever she can, where she can. Um, And all of them are like that. They're quite creative and um, like they think outside the box in how to make money and Mm. support themselves. Yeah. It's that ability to make ends meet Mm. that they have. And I think that's what you might not necessarily see from other families in the community that, like you say, they get Centrelink or they might yeah. not work, but they always, they can all, all, well, generally speaking, right, they can always make it work. Yeah. They always end up getting the food on the table. They always manage to get their kids to school. Maybe it's not on time, but the kid's there. Mm-hmm. Like they have this tenacity. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. Tenacity. They have the tenacity to be able to, to always make the ends meet, to always figure it out. Yeah. And yeah. I just think it's really well, well depicted in, in the show. And yeah. I think it almost all, all also like sneaks by you. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You don't actually realise, I think sometimes, that it sneaks by you that they have, they all have this ability to, to sort of figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that undying or unwavering work ethic. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting because you don't really see, even with the kids when they're going to school, like it's time to get up, you've got to leave for school, it's 10 to 9, blah, 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 blah. You don't often see them sleeping in. It's like they're mm. still eating breakfast. That's where they're running late. But they're, you know, when people are awake, they're up and there's a regiment to their morning. You know, mm. Debbie, you're next up, you're in the shower, then you've got to do this. Mm. They all sort of have a succession of activities to do in the morning, but you rarely see them being like, I'm not getting out of bed, which in a normal like situation, mm. I remember doing it as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Refu- I used to try and trick like my parents into like having a quick schnoz with me, <laughs> so I could go back to sleep. <laughs> Cheeky, <laughs> but yeah, you don't see that with them at all, which I think then integrates into the fact that they have this like crazy work ethic. Yeah, and is... just ability to adapt to change. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and like Frank's, even Frank's with like the begging and. Debbie does it. She sits on the street corner with a with a sign and the baby begging, and she's kind of roaring at the same time. Yeah. But you know they're out there doing something. Or the car park one. Yes. Where they promote the fake concert at the place, and they go and charge you run ten or twenty bucks a car park. And yeah, yeah. Liam does one. I can't remember. He makes lemonade. Yeah, I remember him making lemonade. It's around that time he does something with another kid. Oh, they. Um, I feel like they. They beg for, oh, he does it with the Mexican kid. Yes. No, no, the, uh, I want to give him his due credit, old mate. The kid from Guatemala that stays with Kev and uh, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's like, if you want to find work, you can find That's work no, anywhere. You know what it is? What do they do? He sells a dollar a brick and they start building a wall in front of the kid. Yes. <laughs> it was like an anti-immigration sort of protesty type yes. thing. And the kid's just willingly there tied to a fence while Liam sells bricks to all these white people. <laughs> to lock him out. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because oh, Liam, in his all of his education and stuff at the private school, learns how to speak Spanish. Yes. Because no one can speak to the kid from Guatemala. But he can. Yeah, they start talking one day. That is really cute. <laughs> cute. I remember that now. Yeah. Oh, and then he leaves. That's it. Oh, well. So, yeah. What do you do? Figure it out, right? Yeah. One brick at a time. <laughs> one brick at a time, yeah. Mm. Well. Finishing in... Um, I know. In... Uh, I guess in theme with how yeah. we would normally finish with a guest, and yeah, I'm yeah. taking you by surprise here. I know. If you had one piece of advice mm. for the Gallagher family, mm. what would it be? My gosh, that's so that's so hard. I would if I sat down the whole family. I mean, it's easy in hindsight to sort of look at everything, but I would just, I would, I think it would just be something, some words of encouragement around like just keep going at it. Mm. That sort of, you know, that kind of sentiment is you're figuring it out, everyone's figuring it out and you're supporting each other. And I think that's the biggest thing that, not the biggest thing, but one of the massive things through the the show is the, the support that everyone shows each other and yeah. that there's these, you sort of see these like phone calls between each other and that's something that kind of sips by you as well, but they're always sort of communicating with each other. Mm. And even the neighbours down the street or the people at the bar, there's this like communication with each other of support and Debbie's in trouble, Fiona calls Lip, they go down to the place, they sort it out, Liam's at school, he's getting bullied by someone, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's that like unwavering support for family and community. Yeah. Which And even when they're fighting, mm. there's, there's still like just a significant loyalty yeah. to the relationships that they have. And I guess at the core of that, their one common denominator is Frank. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I would say, yeah, if I had the, if I had them in front of me, I would say just keep supporting each other and keep doing what you're doing because I think it's one of those, like, if you if you expect someone to do it for you or if you keep waiting around or if you try and rule the system for too long like Frank does, mm. um, that's not really how you're going to get it done. You yeah. really need to keep doing what you're doing and, yeah, mm. be something like that. Mm. Hopefully a little bit more. Articulate? Yeah. I feel like that was articulate. Thanks. How about you? Oh, I thought I escaped that then. No, nah, it's okay. Quick as goat sneeze. No, I, I would, I'd be similar to you or it would just be not necessarily a piece of advice for them um, but maybe an acknowledgement of mm. their perseverance. Yeah, yeah. That it's not always been easy but they continue to persevere. Yeah. Um, and maybe if it was a, if it was words of encouragement saying in theme with my question, it would be around their resilience. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, that's us. Bit of fun. Another day, another dollar. Yes. For the podcast, we're making mo- no money from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge on. Oh, so funny. Hey, um, just quickly, I suppose, if there's any feedback for us uh, about the podcast, please send it through. We've also we have had some feedback for some from some of our friends about the sound quality. Um, we are using new microphones we bought today. Hopefully, you can hear a difference. Yeah, so please let us know that as well because we really would like to hear um, some feedback. 
we feel like restrictions around COVID-19 are easing up, you know, as we know as much as you do, but as soon as everything is back to normal, we will be able to get in contact with a lot more guests that we yeah. have planned. Um, and still, if there's any guests that you would like to hear from or topics of discussion... Let us know. Please do, get in touch. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I hope everyone's having a nice time and enjoying your week. So... Any feedback, yeah, shoot it through, messages, uh, Facebook comment, anything like that. More than happy to hear it. Yeah, happy to hear from you. Hmm. Have a lovely evening, Josh. <laughs> Thanks, Nat, you too. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week.